Welcome to Coffee and a True Crime Dumpster Fire. This is a true crime podcast. That's right, a true crime podcast. For those in the back, I'll say it a little bit louder. This is a true crime podcast. This show is a show for grown folks. That little E over there next to my podcast, that means that we use some foul language every once in a while. Just every once in a while. Enough to flag it, you know. So, we talk about really generally vile, disgusting, and horrific things. Dismemberment, disembowelment, death in general. Lots of really horrible, terrible things. But we also, like I said, we cover the three key things that everybody in life enjoys. Coffee, true crime, and of course, dumpster fires. So, settle in. Come get warm by the dumpster fire. Make sure don't touch it, though. Don't want you to get burned. Don't want to get sued. Just saying. But, again, all kidding aside, you have been warned. Turn back now if you don't like that kind of thing. And by the way, I like my coffee black and my tea in the harbor. If you don't get that reference, you need to go ahead and turn back now. Otherwise... Settle in and enjoy this week's episode of Coffee and a True Crime Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 12 of Coffee and a True Crime Dumpster Fire. As always, I'm your host, the mysterious Mr. C. So, let's of course start off with the coffee of the week, shall we? I know, I've been really lazy and I did it again. This week's Coffee of the Week is Stumptown Cold Brew Original. It actually comes in a little bottle. Um, almost looks like an old... Uh, <coughs> uh, <clears throat> oh, boy, that rebound Rona cough, I guess. I don't know. Um, it actually comes in a... It looks like a red stripe bottle. If you know, you know. I don't need to... Of course, if you're listening to me... Of all people, of course you know what a red stripe bottle is. Good Lord. But anyway, so it's the Stumptown Cold Brew original. Comes in the refrigerator, comes in a little thing. And I'm going to give it a two and three quarters out of five beans because it is a potent. And maybe, again, the reason I'm doing, well, yeah, two and three quarters. Because, the, and the reason I'm doing it that because it was bitter. Um, I know coffee's supposed to be bitter. I get it, but I mean, it had a like a. a I mean, it it may be because I may have been, I may have needed to cut it uh, before I drank it. I drank it straight from the bottle uh, at work. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. It didn't have any... It just, to me, uh, even as a cold... I like cold brew. Uh, I like to drink it cold. But this just didn't... I don't know, it had a bite to it. I tell you one thing, though. I had a definite... After I got about halfway through the... Got about halfway through the bottle, and uh, I had a... Woo! Rick Flair moment. Yep, there are your ears. Um, 
Yeah, that it definitely peaked. I'm sorry. Not sorry. But anyway, so it 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 um I got about halfway through and holy cow. And it it was it was okay. Like I said, it was okay. It was two and three quarters. Meh. I wouldn't necessarily get it again. Uh, but it was it, and on the bottle, it the, on the front on the label, on the left and right lower corners of the front label, on the left it says good, and on the right it says good. Or on the right it says luck. You know, like as in good luck. And let me tell you, the the amount of caffeine that this thing has in it. You're gonna need that good luck. Good luck. It means something. You're gonna need it because uh, if you're not close to a bathroom, if you're catching what I'm putting down there, because whoa, um, I think I found the quarter that I swallowed when I was seven. Just saying. Um, good coffee though. Overall, I guess you know two and three quarters. Not bad. Not great. Just kind of mediocre. But. Uh, the caffeine level, though, out of this world. I mean, we're talking when meth is too much, but cocaine's not enough. That's where you go to the Stumptown Cold Brew. All right, now let's get on with our episode twelve. Our episode, our episode this week, which is of course episode twelve. Um, we're going to talk about uh, Killdozer. So, show of hands, who in the audience? I like doing this, by the way, the show of hands. I know it's the irony. I don't think the irony is lost on you guys. Maybe, maybe not. It is what it is. But uh, show of hands, how many people have been to the DMV or had to get some sort of uh, building permit or, you know, permit for whatever, you know, been to the DMV or had to get any kind of permit for like a garage sale or anything like that. Uh, various permits. A, a permit to open a lemonade stand or whatever, right? A permit to host a wedding at the park or any of that stuff, right? You have to go down to City Hall or wherever. And it's government. And we all know how governments work, right? Because that's why you listen to true crime. Uh, that's why we have true crime podcasts, right? Because government things don't. It's red tape and bureaucracy, and it's atrocious. But most of us end up being, you know, reasonable people. Um, but in the words of Marvin Hemeyer, the guy who built, built who built Killdozer, spoiler alert. Most of us. This is a quote. Sometimes reasonable men must do unreasonable things. And my God, did he take it to a whole nother level. So let's start back in October of 1951 in South Dakota. Make us cold there. Not as cold in North Dakota. Why not? My not. Freezing's the reason. Again, if you know, you know. Um... <clears throat> Anyway, so he lived, he moved to, or early in his life, lived in Grand Lake. It's a town, uh, it's a small town in Colorado, about 16 miles outside of Granby. <clears throat> um, and and he was, you know, pretty uneventful. There was no, like, horrific 
you know, life, yada, yada, any of that. But, so in 1992, uh, he bought two acres of land to build a muffler shop. He got $42,000 to do it, um, and he got it, he kind of got the, the money and things through failed savings and loans and that kind of stuff. It was a weird thing. Anyway, it it was it, it was technically above board how he did it, but it technically I mean it was in that weird gray area of how he got his money and all that. Any at any point, anyway, blah, 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 blah. so ultimately he ended up actually agreeing to sell a piece of his land to a guy named Cody Doshef, or I don't even know how to pronounce that. D o c h e f f, Dochef, Doshef. Doshef, I don't know. Tomato, tomato, potato, hand grenade, I don't know. Um, so he agreed to sell the land, or a piece of the land, to so that uh, Doshef could build. I'm going to call him Doshef from now on because it fits. I mean, not. It, it's easy to say. Uh, so that Doshef could build a concrete plant called Mountain Park Concrete. Originally, he agreed to sell this piece of land for $250,000. But according to Doshef's wife, um, Hemeyer reneged on the deal, increased the price to $375,000, and then ultimately to a million dollars. And this was, all of this occurred while they were trying to get the proper zoning. Again, the government... Um, well, they're trying to get proper zoning to build this uh, concrete plant or do whatever they were going to do. And all of this occurred before they got their hearing, even, before the town council. Finally, in 2001, the Granby Zoning Commission approved the construction of the plant. Hemeyer appealed their decision. And again, I'm not really clear. I think he the way that he sold the land or whatever or, or or maybe the way that the the way that the plant was going to be situated based on based on zoning and all those things he argued he appealed Hemeyer actually appealed claiming that that construction would block access to his shop so it wasn't necessarily the shop, it wasn't the concrete plant itself, but the construction of it would block um, access to his, uh, to his shop, his muffler shop. And he was, of course, unsuccessfully, uh, unsuccessful in his appeal. S- eventually, though, and this, I mean, the headache didn't stop there. This was like war for this guy. So, uh, he was ultimately, he was fined numerous times and for various violations, he ended up being fined $2,500 by the town council and a city judge for a, a, a litany of violations not to include connecting to the city sewer lines. So... Again, part of the new construction project involved um, new sewer lines and things 
being the sewer lines and things being rerouted and whatever. And it pushed the the new sewer line. I guess was sixty feet away from <coughs> his shop, and he was going to have to pay eighty thousand dollars to lay connector to get hooked back up to that sewer line. So reasonably, understandably, this dude is pissed. You know, he's trying to make a profit, probably a little more than he should have, but whatever. Um, you know, I'm all in favor of capitalism, so it is what it is. But he, he's he's getting kind of screwed here because it's going to cost him an extra eighty grand that he doesn't want to pay. They they require it's it's a weird thing because I can see it from both angles. The city is requiring him to be connected to the uh, to the city sewer, but he doesn't want to pay for the money to be connected because he doesn't feel like he has to. I mean, you know, if you were requiring me to do something, then you need to make some sort of, you know, end roads and and meet me sort of meet me along somewhere, meet me halfway, I guess. So instead of the eighty grand it's going to cost me, maybe you foot forty of it. If you want me connected, then that's what you'll do. Obviously, he lost all of those hearings and all those things. And from everything that I'm, I've found about this guy, he was really pretty affable, pretty nice guy, agreeable, you know, just, you know, Joe Citizen. And, of course, there are people, too, who didn't have anything nice to say about this guy. Now, you're always going to find people who have negative shit to say about people that get hung up in situations like killdozer or they're serial killers or whatever. And, and you're going to find people that have, you know, and then there's also going to be people, too, that have nice things to say about uh, anybody. Unless, of course, you're Ken McElroy, but. Neither here nor there. I digress. Because um, I don't think anything anybody ever had anything. Not even his not even his uh, widow has anything great to say about the guy. All right. So anyway, I mean the whole town. Remember, remember the story. Yeah. If you didn't go back to episode ten uh, to hear about that about Ken McElroy, I'll I'll wait. Okay. So you're back now. Okay. Great. Um. So this guy, though, this whole situation, these literal decades of, of ongoing disputes with the building permits and the construction and all this stuff, the guy, they, they, he snapped and went over the edge. So, and I joke about, um, you know, I, I joke about, you know, government driving people to do crazy things and whatever, but, I mean, you know, going postal. Just saying. Uh, but, you know, and, and I think maybe this guy had some minor, I say minor, but uh, I don't know, some minor uh, underlying mental health issues that were confounded by all the stress and everything, I think. But needless to say, this guy generally just, genuinely, truly had really just lost 
all of his shit just gone. Done. The, the writing was literally on the wall with this guy in his garage. Um, he even made comments in some of his writings and things. Uh, and he did some, he recorded some audio tapes too, but literally in his own handwriting on the walls of the garage and he had some notes everywhere scattered throughout his garage and two, six audio tapes totaling two and a half hours of religious ramblings about how God built him for this quote. Those are quote. That's a quote. God built him for this quote. It was his duty quote. And he, of course he had the handwritten list of targets. Um, among which was a Catholic church in town, and for some reason, it was on the list, but it was never damaged. So it, maybe he just didn't get to it. I don't know. Um, so, but he, I mean, he even commented how over the eighteen months, he even commented in his writings at the very end, how over the eighteen months that he spent building his device that nobody noticed. And we'll get to that. It's scary. So the town of Granby is set, by the way, just for background, I guess, it's a smaller town. It's about 8,000 feet above sea level, uh, about 2,000 residents, and it's 80 miles or so, give or take, from the city of Denver. Um, you can't, you can, from up there in, from, from up there in Granby, you can probably see the cloud of weed smoke over Denver. Just saying. Anyway, um, all right, so now let's talk about Killdozer, the birth of Killdozer. Uh, sadly, they, again, spoiler alert, sadly they ended up dismantling it and sending various pieces to undisclosed scrapyards and stuff to keep people from, uh, to, to keep murderbilia collect collectors and yes, murderbilia is a thing. But to keep the murderbilia collectors at bay, they scattered it through junkyards all over the place. But So let's talk about it. So it took him roughly 18 months to build this death machine. So it was a Komatsu D355A tractor or, uh, bulldozer. He fitted it with ar makeshift armor plating around the cab and everything. Um, the foot... The armor, the foot, the foot, yes, the foot, that's right, the foot, the armor was a foot thick. They used, he used 5,000 PSI concrete that was, which, by the way, PSI, 5,000 PSI concrete, this is what they use, this is the concrete, the grade of concrete that they use to build footers for buildings in cold weather. This is what the slab of your home is built on top of. Unless you live in Florida and it's a little bit different, but neither here nor there. Um, 5,000 PSI concrete that was sandwiched between um, two sheets of tool-grade steel. So tool-grade steel, by the way, is... High-tempered steel, uh, 
about a third to a half inch thick. So you understand. Because I don't know, it's hardened steel and whatever. I don't know a whole lot about it. Other than it's thick as hell and it's basically when you put it, when you put it, when you sandwich concrete in between two pieces of it, it's basically bulletproof. Because this thing took 200 rounds of small arms fire throughout the incident. It absorbed 200 rounds. <clears throat> small arms fire, so like 9mm, things like that, 40, 45, some rifles and things. So to be able to see outside of this thing, because he literally just put a big giant cage around it, right? This Just this... These slabs, these four pieces of, of armor. Um, so, to be able to see, he outfitted it, with, outfitted this thing. He put cameras all around. You know, a 360 view through cameras. And he wired in a monitor inside the cab. And all of those cameras, they couldn't even... Law enforcement couldn't even blind the cameras during this because it was outfitted. They protected. He protected the camera lenses with three-inch thick Lexan. Um, it's ridiculous. So he did this, and he he did this uh, in June, on June fourth, two thousand and four. But we'll get to that in a second. So keeping in mind that this was done in June. You know, what? what is a great vehicle without accessories, right? So, again, doing this in June, we've got onboard fans and an AC, sort of a semi-functioning AC. Um, <clears throat> so it's going to get, I mean, underneath two feet of concrete or a foot and a half of concrete, whatever it is, going to get a little toasty. Concrete and steel, going to get a little toasty in there. Um... Especially once, when he built this and he knew, um, again, based on the ramblings and everything, he knew once he set that thing in place that um, it was going to be a tomb. He didn't plan on coming out of there, you guys. He seriously knew he was not coming out of there, period. Like, mission from God kind of stuff. We're on a mission from God. There were a couple of monitors inside of there to see where the hell he was going with, with all the cameras and things. Then he got a little bit creative, too, <clears throat> with the armament. He put three gun ports, one for a 50, a 308, and a 22 long rifle port with <clears throat> big yawn there for a second. Sorry. With um, He put half-inch steel plating around those gun ports. So again, back to the tool-grade steel being a third to half an inch thick. Obviously, he's using the half inch thick because he put that steel plating around the... Anyway, <clears throat> so once he essentially built this shell, he used a homemade crane that, that law enforcement found in his garage. Spoiler alert, he's going to die. Shocker. Um, but, so he, he they, when the cops went back to his house and they found a crane, sort of a makeshift homemade crane that he used to set the shell of this thing. And so on June 4th, 
He drove this bulldozer that he had modified into a literal tank through the town of Granby. He drove through Granby Town Hall, the local newspaper. He even drove over the home of a former mayor whose widow still lived in the home. That sucks. And a hardware store owned by a guy he named in a lawsuit the concrete plant and even and the concrete plant and even his and even what used to be his mushroom mu- mushroom his muffler shop which at this point he actually was leasing it to a trash company um it's crazy because um natural gas so so he he interrupted natural gas and u- other utility services to the town for quite a while um and but with all of this destruction um which i mean 13 buildings were destroyed um 3 million or 2 million dollars i think so with all those millions of dollars in damage, imagine being that insurance guy, by the way, right? Getting that phone call. <laughs> anyway, with all of this destruction that this dude caused, the only death that occurred was Hemeyer himself. So, with Hemeyer himself being the only death, like I said, poor editing, my fault, whatever. Um,. The attack itself, the actual attack, lasted about two hours and seven minutes. Destroyed 13 buildings, did a a shit ton of damage. Again, I hate to be that insurance, or those insurance guys, I guess, because they probably all had different insurance. Anyway, that's a whole other racket in and of itself, right? So, um, to stop the attack, here's, this is, all of the efforts, you know, to... To stop this attack, were re- I mean, this guy really kind of truly thought of everything. So Doshif tried to use a what's called a scraper to protect his concrete plant and maybe even stop the attack at that point. Nope. For those of you that don't know what a scraper is, um, it's basically uh, a, a tractor with a a long tractor with two sort of kind of like bulldozer blades set kind of in a triangle and they basically plow through and break everything up and break up rock and things and push it out um, rock and dirt and all that and they push it out into a tray to you know to break up rock and things for concrete to, to store away for concrete anyway google it sorry anyway not sorry so, um, SWAT's, I mean, that didn't help. So, SWAT team stuffed a flashbang grenade into the exhaust. That didn't do anything. They attempted to disable the camera system and blind them, basically. Uh, that didn't happen because, you know, three inches of Lexan is a lot of friggin' Lexan. The undersheriff of Grand County, Glenn Trainer at the time, actually climbed on top of this monster 
like, quote, like a bull rider to try and find a way to put a bullet in the cab. But as debris was falling around everything, he kind of had to jump off because it wasn't safe anymore. The governor at the time, Governor Bill Owens, actually considered using, allegedly, sorry, I should say allegedly, considered using the National Guard to either bring in an Apache helicopter with a Hellfire missile or a Javelin anti-tank missile crew. Now, Governor Owens and his staff still deny it to this day that this was even considered, but there are members of the Colorado State Patrol who were on the ground that day that were present that they claim that it was considered but ultimately scrapped due to the potential for extensive, this is a quote, extensive collateral damage. You think a friggin' hellfire? Yeah, that'd be bad. Or javelin? That would be rough. So, ultimately, though, the attack, believe it or not, sort of stopped itself because the, you know, I mean, he did not, he didn't plan well enough and protect the uh, hydraulic lines and the oil pans and things like that. So, in all of his haste to just plow over a bunch of buildings and, sh- and destroy shit, he, he ripped open various, you know, cooling lines and things like that. And so it leaked a bunch of fuel and or a bunch of fluids and stuff. Ultimately, I mean, it ultimately caused the motor to just seize up. And he dropped um, he dropped a tread into the basement of, of the Gamble's hardware store that he demolished. Um, craziness, man. Right? So, ultimately, the... He, he took his own life while he was sealed inside the cab of that thing. A single shot from a three fifty seven Magnum. It took... It took law enforcement until 2 a.m. The next, the next morning to get inside that cab and retrieve his dead body. They ultimately had to use an acetylene, an oxycetylene torch to cut it open like a can opener and, and to get his um, to get his body out. I'm sure that stunk. Ugh. Man, that smell. And so this happened in broad daylight, by the way. In the middle of the day, uh, <coughs> I remember this. Uh, I remember... I was I was actually a police officer when this happened. Um, it did not go well. Did not go well. Um, I didn't I didn't get activated or anything like that, but I remember that. That was anyway, pretty insane. So that's all I've got for you this week. It's kind of short. Uh, 